Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. Join us today as we learn from God's word in Habakkuk. We pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for your patience and understanding as we strive to honor God in gathering and what that looks like as a church. Uh, gospel communities, thank you so much for your faithfulness to gather today and to free up space here. Just so you guys know, this isn't really any different than inside the building. It's still really cold, and there's no one sitting in the first few rows. So it's very similar to that. This is an incredibly beautiful section of Scripture. So if you want to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3, we finally get to the turning point. It's a really cool section of Scripture because at this point, nothing has changed. There is no difference in what the circumstances are for Habakkuk. But he has, he has wrestled with the Lord. He's come to this time and this space. And really, uh, this, this chapter 3 is actually, it's meant to be a song. It's meant to be sung. And so we actually have a couple individuals working on a way for us to sing this last chapter together. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do that. But I want to real quickly recap kind of where we've been. If you remember, Habakkuk is... It's a, it's a short book, but one of the downsides to kind of going verse by verse and section by section is that over seven weeks now, we're kind of getting to chapter three. And really, when you, when you read it, you see the first seven weeks of just kind of this drudging of, oh my goodness, this is heavy and it's difficult and it's hard. And it's one of those things where you go back and forth going, man, I just, I want some good news. Well, chapter three is kind of the good news. But again, we have to remember what's going on. So Habakkuk came to the Lord with frustrations based on what the people of Judah, God's people were doing and their injustice and the, the way that sin was just running rampant and the, the false idols and all the things that they were doing. And, and Habakkuk goes to the Lord and says, Lord, are you going to do something? Are you going to come to the, are you going to do something about this? What's going on? Where's, where's your justice? Where's your strength? Where's your goodness in the midst of these people? And God graciously, which is really powerful, answers Habakkuk and tells him, oh, don't worry, I'm doing something. I'm doing something that you won't believe. I'm raising up a people that are, that are going to come and they're going to destroy and they're going to do all kinds of different things. And he talks about raising up the Chaldeans. So then Habakkuk comes back to the Lord and says, well, whoa, hang on a second, God. Those people are even worse than us. I can't imagine this. And he shows us how to wrestle with the Lord in prayer. And we've talked about that. I would encourage you to go back and listen. And then he the Lord comes back and gives him the last couple weeks we were talking about was the woes. Kind of this is all the things that I will do to the Chaldeans for them being a tool to be used to bring discipline to my people. I will extend out my wrath on them. And so we talked about being a, a, a child of God, living by faith, means that we will still experience discipline, but it also means that we don't have to take of the wrath from God, do our, punish, our sins that are deserved. And so Habakkuk kind of succumbs, in this section, he succumbs to the outcome. Circumstances haven't changed. We know by history that the Chaldeans haven't at this point made it to the people of Judah, but they are making their way rapidly there. And so word is traveling throughout the, world, the land about what they're doing and how they're, how they're crushing people and how, how hostile and fierce they are. And so it, it's coming, but nothing else has changed in circumstances. So, so Habakkuk succumbs to what God has given him. And then we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this song in Habakkuk. This kind of, it's a psalm, really, in a lot of ways. So that's, that's kind of where we are in the text. Uh, one of the things that Jen and I have done as parents is we, we believe that we are to discipline our children. I know other people have all different kinds of ideas. But, but one of the things that we did in discipline is we would, we would spank our kids in that way. And so we always meant, it was always meant to be a conversation, right? It was always meant to, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is why it's a spanking. And then it was always afterwards like a hug and a, this is what we love you and all those kind of different things. But one of the things that we did, we had some mentors kind of teach us this. It says, hey, every now and then when you get a chance, 
If, you, if your kids know they've done something wrong and they're coming back to you and you've, you've kind of caught them in that situation, you should, you should teach them about mercy. Teach them about how to do mercy with them. And so my kids, like any good kids, would learn how to exploit that to their benefit. And so one time we were hanging out with our kids, and, and I can't remember what. It was when Livia was really little. She was two, two and a half or whatever. And Ava and Livia, they did something wrong. Like, they know they weren't supposed to do. Like, it was one of those situations that, like, it was, you know, the kid knows. Like, right when they did it, they're like, uh-oh, did they see? And right when we saw it, I was like, uh-oh. And I went over to Olivia, and I was like, Olivia, like, you did this is wrong. And, and so because that, it was a consequence to your sin. And Olivia just started scream crying, give me mercy, give me mercy. And so I was like, whack. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But that was, um, so she, 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 cleans, she cries out, give me mercy, give me mercy. And that's a really interesting thing for her to cry out. And I'll finish the story in a little bit. But why would she ask for mercy? Why would she ask for mercy when she knew what she was doing was wrong. We actually see Habakkuk doing the same thing in this text. There's a, there's a few things. This is a short kind of one-verse prayer at the beginning of chapter 3 before it goes into the song. And so we're going to look at this prayer, and there's just three things I want to take from this prayer for us today. I'll read it real quickly. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 is what we'll, or 1 through 2 is what we'll cover today. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoith. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O oh, oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So we see a couple things. First off, this, according to the Shigenoith, it's a word that, that has a lot of trouble. We don't understand it really well. We see it in its plural form here. We see it in a singular form in Psalm 7. There's some discussion that this is meant to be a prayer of kind of recognizing, like, forgiveness of their ignorance. It's a praise and excitement thing. Again, that's all conjecture. The best thing we can know because of the Selahs and then also the, the, the reference to the musical instruments at the end of chapter 3, that it's just meant to be a song. It's an instrument meant for us to sing. And the reason it's important for us to recognize that this is supposed to be sung is that Habakkuk wants us to be able to sing the prayer with him. So it's not something that we're supposed to just read to me there. It's actually something we're supposed to sing with it, which is why we're working on making chapter 3 into a song, which if you read the words, it's it, quite difficult actually. The Chaldeans are coming against Judah. How should the godly prepare for this tribulation and calamity? And, and Habakkuk wants for us to sing with him in this. And at first, he has this, this short one-verse prayer where he asks two very simple things, or three very simple things from the Lord. The first one is, is he, has, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and, and your work. O Lord, do I fear? Now, this is the first thing I want us to remember in hardship. Is, is that we have to remember that there is a, there's a level of healthy fear or awe, reverential fear of God in all hardships. See, I think many of us are used to it, and at least I remember when I was young and I worked at like Dairy Queen and other places, that I would work a certain way unless the manager was there, then I wouldn't work as well. That was not healthy of me. This is before Christ in my life, so forgive me. And maybe none of you have ever experienced that. But we've all been around people where when you're in the room with that person, maybe it's in your dating relationship and you're meeting the parents of the other person, and you tend to kind of ship up a little bit and kind of like maybe try and say things a little bit more clearly or a little eloquently. You don't necessarily, you're not trying to be fake, but you realize like this is a person that deserves us to kind of operate with them as if they're important. We've all also been around people, or maybe we're those people, where someone has embarrassed you by the way that they've spoken in front of someone else because of they're seeming like ignorance to the position of the person. They're seeming invalid, like they don't seem to care, and they just kind of speak that way. What Habakkuk shows us here is he says, look, I have heard of the report of you. Now, what's interesting is the heard the report of you. If you remember, he had to sit, he said, I will stand and wait 
for you. In chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand and wait for you. I will stand and wait. And he says, look, the Lord has spoken and I've heard it. I've heard it. And what does it do? I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear? So the first thing we have to remember in hardship is a healthy fear of all that God does. I think too often we live our lives not recognizing that the fact that, that God says that one of two things are going to happen, like we talked about in the woes. You're going to be experiencing the wrath of God if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not submitted to him, or you're going to be experiencing the discipline of God if you are a follower of Jesus. We see that we are to endure all hardship as discipline. So we, we see that that's supposed to be there. Now, Habakkuk has heard the discipline that's coming to him from the Chaldeans, and he has fear. He has immense fear, not of the Chaldeans, but he says, Lord, I fear your work. And that's another thing we have to recognize. We can't fear our circumstances. We're not supposed to fear our circumstances. We're supposed to fear the Lord and recognize that he is sovereign over it. He is in control, and he can do what he is going to do. If we really gasp that God is about his glory and that he will discipline his children and pour out his wrath on his enemies, it will cause us to have reverential awe or fear. Habakkuk reacts with a sense of awe and fear when he's informed that the favored nation of the Lord shall be utterly devastated. See, even though he is assured that the righteous shall live by faith, he cannot but be awestruck at the judgment to come. As a matter of fact, his response of fear at hearing of the Lord's activity indicates that he accepts as true the message that he has received. In this case, fear is a significant indicator of the faith of this prophet. He trusts God's word, and he has faith in God's word, and that fear coming is of God's work. So the first thing that we can do and thing that we need to remember when experiencing hardship is that we need to be in a position of healthy reverential awe, fear of the Lord. We can't just put ourselves out and pretend like we're walking around our life like, like there's no one watching, that God's not paying attention. We can't, we can't operate as if God isn't around. We have to recognize that he is around, he is at work, and he is to be feared. He's the only thing that we are commanded to fear in Scripture is him and him alone. And that will bring us to a spot of reverential awe. The rest of this chapter is Habakkuk reminding himself and the people to sing of all the ways that God has worked in the people of God. Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear what he's capable of? Do you, even mar- do you ever marvel at his words or his works? Do you ever find yourself in the scripture seeing what he does and just marvel at his goodness or his grandness? Do you find yourself marveling at his creation more than him himself? And it's good to see the goodness in other things, but do you ever just stop and recognize that he is so big, you are so small, he is so good, and we are not? The second thing we see in this prayer is he says, he says in this, he says, in the midst of your years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. The, this is kind of the second thing to, to remember this hardship is that God is still capable of renewing work and making it known no matter how bleak the outcome seems. See, I think this is interesting that he does this. He, he comes to the Lord and says, hey, in the midst of these years, there's some disagreement in the scholars about which years he's talking about. But most seem to believe that this is the years between the Chaldeans crushing and devastating Ju- the people of Judah and then people being led out into exile or into slavery and doing that. And he's saying, he's saying that there's, in those years, where this is going, God, would you revive a work? Would you renew something in me? Would you renew me? Would you renew my heart? Would you do a renewal in the people of God? Most likely, the midst of this years is the time between the two acts of judgment revealed in Habakkuk. In the time between the purging judgment that must fall on the house of God itself and the consuming judgment that must avenge the God's elect, in that crucial period before the destruction of God's enemies, may the Lord be sure to preserve life. See, he hopes that the one who acted mightily in the past will do the same in the present and the now. Another thing that's interesting in this prayer, if you look at it, he says, he says revive your work. 
And he said, what is, the, what is the thing that we're supposed to look at? The it that's talking about is his work. And he's saying, revive your work. So often we want God to revive our work. God, change my circumstances. Revive my work. But instead he's saying, God, do a renewal in your work, a renewal of your work, what you're doing, what you believe is good. God, will you do it? Do you believe that God can, can work in your heart, in the hardest of situations, maybe even through this time right now? Have you experienced hardship, whether it's economic or social or financial or emotional? Do you find yourself asking the God to renew in your heart anything? Or do you find yourself just falling to the circumstances and complaining? Do you believe that God can revive, that he can renew in the midst of the worst of things? See, Habakkuk doesn't say, God, take away this. He doesn't say, take away the circumstances. He succumbed to it and says, well, in your circumstances, God, would you revive? Would you do your work? What we know you can do, would you work? He asks for that in his prayer. Do you believe that he can do this? What about the person that doesn't know Jesus? Do you believe that God could save people in this current circumstance right now, in your life, in around you? Do you believe he would use you to be salt and light to the people around you? God is about renewal. He's about doing his work in the midst of the, just the most atrocious situations. And that's what Habakkuk is pleading God for in this prayer. The third thing he says in this, to remember in this short little prayer, is that we must always be in a posture to plead for mercy. And there's a reason why I say posture, and I'll, I'll get there in just a second. See, he, he says, in your wrath, in your anger, in discipline, God, please, Lord, remember your mercy. We talked about this a while ago in wrestling with the Lord. We talked about coming to the Lord in our prayer, rec- wrestling with him based on his character. This is what Habakkuk's doing. He recognizes that wrath is a part of God's character. He recognizes that he is going to have discipline and that these are going to happen. Even Habakkuk, who is honoring God and asking God to do something with his people that aren't honoring him, is getting wrapped up into the discipline that God is going to do to the entire people of Judah. And he understands all that. But in this, he then pleads on another primary point of God's character, his mercy. Habakkuk calls on God to remember and exhibit the merciful side of his character as well. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk prays knowing well that they don't deserve revival. He knows that they they don't even deserve the renewal that he's asking for. But in the midst of his wrath, he says, God, remember your mercy and send revival for us. God's mercy is essentially just getting what you don't deserve. When Moses asked God to show his glory, Moses in in Exodus says, God, will you show me your glory? When he asks God to show him his glory, God puts his goodness and grace and mercy on display. There are so many things God could have said to Moses. He says, I will pass over you. I'll pass in front of you, and I I will say the goodness. I will show you my goodness, my glory. And instead of saying about his omnipotence or his, his power, his sovereignty, or, or all of the other things, the very first thing he says, look, at the Lord passed before him. This is Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Of all the things that God could have said in this moment, he says, look, the Lord is, is, is merciful. God's mercy is, is a part of who he is. We, in the new covenant, get experiences mercy through Jesus Christ, recognizing that, that we deserve all wrath and, and our sins are due the punishment of God's to us. But we recognize in Christ, we are saved and we rest in his mercy. Deuteronomy 4, 31 says it this way, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. See, Habakkuk, when he's pleading to God for his mercy, he's pleading based on his understanding of this text based on his understanding that God is a merciful God, that God will not leave his people. One scholar says it this way, God's mercy not only shows us who he is, but also tells us something essential about ourselves. That we have been shown mercy means not only that we didn't deserve his favor, 
but that we deserved his righteous hammer against the anvil of justice. He goes on and says this, Our cry for mercy admits to our ill-deserving, not just undeserving. By right, we should be under the impending wrath like all mankind, Ephesians 2, verse 3. But for the tender mercy of God, Luke 178, we are under his grace. So why do I say it's a posture of mercy? Well, my daughter, she did something. I don't know if she theologically understood this, but she did something that is so true of what we are to do with our Father. See, when she came to me, when she pleaded for mercy for me, she did it in a position where she knew what she had done was wrong. She was fully aware of what she did. She knew it was wrong by her reaction, by the instant look to see if I had seen. She knew. The Lord sees everything we do that is wrong. And so it takes a posture of humility to recognize that what you have done, what you are doing is wrong and deserves justice deserves punishment, deserves discipline, deserves wrath. See, the first thing we have to understand when we're going to have a posture of, to, to be in a posture for his mercy is to recognize that we need the humility to recognize that what we've done is wrong. We need to, we need to plead this. Habakkuk doesn't say, God, remember in your wrath, remember your mercy because of all the things we're doing right. He doesn't say, remember, remember your mercy because of all the ways in the past I've done something good. He doesn't say, remember your mercy because I promised to do a bunch of things good in the future. He just says, God, based and in the middle of your wrath, in your anger, in your, in your frustration towards the sinfulness of your people, God, would you please, please remember your mercy? Would you give us what we don't deserve? My daughter was asking for that. The second thing in my daughter asking me for mercy is she was doing what we need to do. We need to ask the one that can actually give it to us. See, in that situation, my, my daughter could have looked at mom and said, hey, mom, can you give me mercy? And that could have put us in a little argument or a conversation there. But instead, she looked right at me because she knew she broke the, the rule with me. She knew she had sinned against me. And she looked at me and said, dad, will you give me mercy? Will you give me mercy? And that is what we are supposed to do with God. David says, I have sinned against you and you alone. Obviously, he has sinned against Bathsheba and many other people, but he recognizes that his sin is first and foremost to God. So when we ask for mercy, we go to God for mercy. So how many of us in the middle of this difficulty right now in the middle of God's discipline, if this is God's discipline, or if this isn't, if it's just any hardship what we're going through, how many of us stop to plead for God's mercy, recognizing that he can and only is the only one that can give it to us? It's his mercy. He's the one that gives it to us. Plead to God for him to revive his work and plead for his mercy. Habakkuk gets that he's in the middle of God's discipline. He gets that. He's not, he's not asking to get out of it. And so he does what all of us should be doing. We should be pleading for mercy. He goes on to talk about all the ways that God has revived in the past. I wrote it this way. It says, Habakkuk has a sober and healthy fear of the judgment of God. So he prays in the midst of wrath that God will have mercy on him. And then in Habakkuk 3, 3 through 15, he sings of the greatness of God's power. And he talks especially of his power to save. The prophet knew God's power from his work in the past, and so he counted on his ultimate victory in the future. This is the other thing that Habakkuk does that I think is so beautiful. He pleads for mercy, not just for himself, but for the people around him. He recognizes that there's, in the midst of years, that he may not live beyond the Babylonian invasion. But he still says, God, would you revive your work? Would you, would you extend your mercy? Would you work in this? He asks selflessly, based on the character of God. He succumbed to the plans that God has for him. What would it be like for us to pray in hardship, knowing that the hardship we're having is the way it is? How many of us have stopped praying for God to get rid of the coronavirus? Like, we, we, we realize this is a hardship, this is a difficulty. We don't know what's going on in this, but have we just stopped? We've just succumbed to it and given up on it? What would it look like for us to continue to pray? And even if God says, no, I'm going to leave it this way, and this is the way it's going to be for the next decade, what would it look like for us to continue to pray to him like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew the outcome? He knew it was expected, but he still went to the Lord faithfully. 
What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we spent more time praying for God to revive the hearts of the individuals around us, our coworkers, our family members, our friends that don't know Jesus? What would it look like for us to pray that way? Say, God, I don't care how long or how hard it is for me in my personal family, in my personal work, in my personal experiences, but God, I want you to revive in the people around me. What would it look like for us to pray that selflessly? We're going to take communion today. So those of you, if you would like to, the communion cups are over there. And here, if you're in your house, you can get your communion in place. Those that are here, the cups, wafers are not gluten-free. So if you don't or can't have gluten, please don't eat that. We've talked about this a few times through Habakkuk in the sense that the, uh, in the woes, Habakkuk talks about how, or God says that he will display his cup of wrath on people. And we talked about how, how Jesus being our Savior, being our Lord, being our King, he has removed the cup of wrath that we all deserve, and we get to instead drink of the cup of blessing. We get to partake of the cup of blessing. This is the cup that's the new covenant in Jesus Christ. This is the cup that we get to take in because of his good mercy to us. We get to partake in the cup of blessing as opposed to the cup of wrath. See, we see that whatever we've done, we're deserving of God's wrath, but we're reminded just how important it is for us to live in light of his truth. See, we see that no matter what we've done apart from Christ, we're deserving God's wrath, but in Christ, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is now nothing that we can experience God's wrath. Our sins have been poured out on Jesus Christ. The consequences and the punishment and the the guiltiness of those sins have been poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we can now, instead of drinking of the cup of wrath that we deserve, that he has already taken for us, we drink of the cup of blessing. Jesus, who lived perfectly, fulfilled the law perfectly, which we could never do. Took the punishment for those that couldn't fulfill the law perfectly so that we could stand in righteousness with God, resting in him, pleading for his mercy that we've already experienced in salvation. That's what it means for us. See, we won't have an accusation against him. We may be frustrated with our hardships, but when it comes to his kingdom being here, we won't have a single accusation against him. But even better is he doesn't have a single accusation against anyone who is in Christ Jesus. You can rest in his righteousness. We've asked this over and over again. If you are in the church, if you are a brother or sister in the church, and you have irreconcilable unforgiveness with another brother or sister, you find yourself hating a brother or sister, then we would encourage you, challenge you to first be reconciled, first confess so that you can then partake of this communion in a, in a worthy way. But I also want to say this. If you're like, man, I've, I've got sin that I, that I did last night or that I did last week that I haven't for, asked for forgiveness, then ask for forgiveness and come to the table of communion, recognizing that it's his blood that washes over the consequences of those sins. Don't be afraid to ask for forgiveness. Don't run from the table in that way. But if you are unwilling to be reconciled, if you have unforgiveness or unrepentant sin in your life, don't come to this flippantly. Come to this recognizing that this is a really big deal. This is a God who is meant to be feared. This is a God who we can come and ask for a revival in our hearts. This is a God that we can plead on his mercy, but to do so in a position of pride and arrogance towards his commands, that would just be foolish. Come to him in humility. Say, God, I need you to do work. I need you to revive this in my life. I need you to cut away that which is not connected to you. Help me to be whole. So Jesus, we read this out of 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus says, or Apostle Paul says this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks to it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the audible he calls. He says, This cup now. He comes in and says, No, the cup of redemption is going to be my blood. 
You're going to experience redemption through my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we get to joy drinking the cup of blessing based on the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, took the cup of wrath. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your mercy. Father, maybe many of us today just need to plead, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Maybe there are people today that, that have just lost sight of the belief that you can renew, that you can do new things in our hearts and the hearts of those around us and the people that don't even proclaim you, God, you can do new things in them. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that you would give us the faithfulness and the audacity to come to before you in fear, postured in humility, recognizing that, God, you are at work. And that whatever you're doing, God, we give you the glory for it. And if it's, if it's discipline, God, discipline. If we are proud, God, would you break us down to a meek position? And Father, I pray, I pray for your body. I pray for your church, God. I pray that she would shine brighter today than she did yesterday. I pray that people would see the way that we treat each other, the way that we love, the way that we come before you, the way that we rest in your mercy, God, and they give you the glory. And so, Father, I pray that you do work in all of us. We praise you for goodness. We praise you for this time. I thank you for the ability to proclaim your goodness out in public, knowing that this world does not want to hear it. God, we, we proclaim to speak it even louder for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.